Hello and welcome, I'm Alexander. I'm Simon. And I'm Tony. We are Knee Deep in Tech, covering the latest from the IT industry with a specific focus on Microsoft and how to get actual value from technology. This is episode 121, recorded on the 29th of May 2020. You will be able to find this and our previous episodes on kneedeepintech.com, iTunes, Spotify, and most other podcasting platforms. Today's headlines are, what are IT pros and Windows 2004 May update about? What's new? Uh, we're going to look at some deployment guidelines for those. Apparently, Teams is now supported in Windows Virtual Desktop. There are new Power BI Dataflow stuff. And uh, Microsoft and Docker seems to be uh, kind of joined at the hip. So let's dive right in. What's news for IT pros in Windows 2004 and the May update? There are plenty, to be honest. Like, I, th I think that this feature update, and by the way, the name is horrible, but that's for another episode. I think this update has gone under the radar for a lot of organizations since there aren't that many new hero features. So things like new features that consumers will care about, apart from all the awesome updates to Notepad which we won't be covering today. Uh, we will be focusing on other stuff, but there are apparently a huge number of updates to Notepad. And I've heard that we will have a special episode on these <laughs> changes in Notepad. I hope we can fit it in 30 minutes, maybe, but otherwise we'll do a 60-minute special. Yeah, which we will call Notable. Very notable. Notable notes on Notepad. Knee-deep in Notepad. Knee-deep in Notes. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> yes. So for IT pros, there are a bunch of new cool things. I think we actually will start with faster installations because that's something we have covered previously as well. So Microsoft claims that they have lowered the offline installation time and they are comparing it with 1703, which is quite odd, from 80 minutes down to 16 and we are not talking about the install of Notepad. <laughs> yeah, there are so many new features that it takes 16 minutes to install Notepad. Wow. Sure. So uh, Microsoft claims that the median time for upgrading to 17.03 were about 80 minutes. And to 2004, it's 16 minutes. And for most users, we only require one reboot. And I think that, again, it's a median time. So for most, we'll probably see much, much lower times uh, in doing the installation, which is super nice. And this, keep in mind that this is when you do it through Windows Update. But that will be one thing. Uh, I also saw that you can have some recover from the cloud thingy in 2004. Yeah, exactly. Is uh, that something you have tried before? I think I've tried it once in the uh, inside the previews. I believe we mentioned it when we uh, in a previous episode. So the the thinking is that just as with Apple, that you should be able to download a new operating system, the latest operating system is, is one of the the benefits of it to your device and reinstall it, because that will, for some, depending on the network connection you have, be quicker than trying to extract that previous or current version of Windows from your actually currently installed operating system. 
Uh, yeah, but I actually did browse through the release notes regarding this, and it was not the latest version that it's, it gets downloaded. It's the current version that you actually have installed. So it will download the same version that you already had, same build version, and also the same edition you already had. Ah, yeah. Uh, I, I think you're absolutely right. Sorry about that. The The problem we had previously were that it could, if you were to reset your device, it would look for Windows RE and possibly go back in versioning. So now you get the version you actually have, which makes total sense, because you don't want to be forced to upgrade. So you're absolutely right. It will download the current uh, version of Windows that you're running. But that's a really neat feature, and it will help a lot. And hopefully we will be able to get to where Apple is today, that even if the operating system is completely broken on a Windows device, you should be able to recover from the cloud. That's the intention. Uh, And the reason for that is that if you're on CSP licensing today and your operating system breaks, you aren't, according to your license, allowed to re-image that device. That's not covered in CSP licensing. You don't have re-imaging rights. People do that anyways, of course, and there's nothing to prevent you from doing it. But according to your licenses, you aren't allowed to re-image your devices. Everything should be done with autopilot. Which proves very difficult if you have a ransomware and you need to wipe the drive. Yeah, that might be an issue. (laughs) Yeah, it might be an issue. (laughs) Tell me how I know. Uh, And no, I haven't had ransomware. I know people that have had ransomware. And if you want to know more about that, listen to our previous episode. So those two things is really nice. Another thing that will tie in very, very well with the uh, cloud recovery is the improvements we have for autopilot. So I think that your organization, Tony, runs pure Azure AD joint devices, right? Um, Not all of them. Yeah, most I think most mostly hybrid. And imagine then that you were to do an autopilot provisioning, and your colleagues are sitting at home, and the desired state is that you want to be hybrid Azure AD joined. That's currently or were until yesterday not possible, because autopilot required to have line of sight to a domain controller. Yeah. But with 2004, and this is actually backported to 1909 and 1903, you're able to, while you go through the autopilot provisioning, connect with a VPN and therefore do an, a real AD join, ended up in a real hybrid Azure AD join state. And that's awesome. Yes. So you can do that from wherever you have connectivity and as long as you have a VPN connection. Uh, is there any limitations on what kind of VPN you're able to use so is it any vpn or does it have to be like always on vpn or microsoft it's it's more about do your vpn require that your device already are ad joined so you can't connect with a vpn that requires a certificate that you only get if your domain joined as an example you need to push that down to the device so you can't connect if you don't or if you aren't able to connect with vpn (laughs) Uh, but can't you actually push the client certificate with Intune in that yeah, case? Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. So as as long as you can connect in a non-domain joined state, mm-hmm. you're good to go. Okay. 
And the last part before we, we move on is about delivery optimization. So peer-to-peer technology inside of Windows, which have received a bunch of improvements. But one of the things that I find very, very interesting and which I see really will have a huge impact on what we can do with deliberate optimization is the automatic cloud-based congestion detection, which basically means that, uh, and this is a feature that's in Windows, but requires a new cloud service to function properly, which will be available in the near future. So that function will look at connections from your network and see, okay, we now have 10 devices that have gone out through the same IP address and are getting the same patch, which seems a stupid thing to do since they could share the content as long as one received the patch. So the service will actually then limit a number of these devices from getting the update, and they will be waiting for a peer to get it. And that will happen dynamically. Uh, Wasn't this actually possible before? Not to, yeah, the the ability to get one client to download it and then share, but then you had to do it manually. So pointing out that this client should do it first. And once that client have downloaded everything, tell your other clients to get it from that peer. Now that's done automatically. So you will actually be able to get that the most efficient download method with the minimum amount of devices needed to service your network which is really quite powerful uh, yeah but at the same time i sort of feel that you sh- as an admin should be able to control this feature yeah I-, I would assume that you will be able to do just that it doesn't say how you can control it but i would assume that you can turn this on and off to add to that there are a bunch of other cool features for mdm for installation diagnostics, for Windows Update for Business. it's So from an IT Pro perspective, it really is a cool update. And like we talked about the last time, uh, connect to Windows subsystem on Linux apps on local hosts, VSL2, Application Guard for both Microsoft Edge on Chromium as well as Office, uh, general uh, availability of FIDO2 for hybrid Azure AD join, and um, Windows, real Windows Hello for Microsoft accounts, just to name a few. Windows Hello for Microsoft accounts is, it's one of these small things that sneak up on you, but it's, it's pretty useful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What, one of the things that we keep discussing is we need to uh, blog more. And that is one of the best ways of making sure that I will never pen <laughs> anything because tell me to do something and I won't. And I, I, I'm, I'm horrible at blogging. I know this. Uh, I, I absolutely know this. I'm, I'm better at other things, um, reading and, and procrastinating, for instance. But, <laughs> but blogging is not my forte. Simon, though, he does nothing. He does nothing. He still does nothing. And then he produces a wall of text. So what is your latest novel about? And, and could you tell us about the, the plot? So... And I, I hope you're referring to uh, the blog post on Native in Tech. I don't know about anybody else or anything else that you've done, but yeah. Simon is like a Heinz ketchup bottle, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that makes oh. all the sense, man. And that's the name of the episode, Heinz ketchup bottle. <laughs> I think we may end up in a 
trademark discussion there. So catch up, Simon. Get it? So my latest blog on needypintech.com is about the underestimated compliance policies in Microsoft Intune. So just to set the stage, compliance policies are there to obviously evaluate compliance. So ensuring that a device which you have configured within uh, within Tune or that you let your user configure themselves are using the required security settings. So for Android devices, I usually require it to be encrypted. Uh, I require it to have a certain passcode, things like that. This has been in Intune for a very long time. And like I start a blog with, what do they do? They do nothing. And that's partly true, but combined with conditional access, it can make an, a huge difference for the user experience. But my blog post is about how to properly configure those, because in many cases, admins just put up one iOS policy, which includes 20 different compliance settings, and off they go. They do nothing else. But that really doesn't give you a good user experience. To take an example, imagine that you require a device to have a certain OS version. So say iOS 13.5. If you were to force that policy on your devices, most of them would be considered non-compliant straight away. And you would probably lock out half of your organization, at least from accessing emails using conditional access. So therefore, one of the things I advise is first, split the compliance policies into multiple policies. And once you have done that, so one for, one for versioning, one for passcodes, one for whatever. Once you've done that, you configure notifications so that if you're enforcing a new setting, your users should get a push notification or an email stating why they aren't compliant. And the last thing is that ensure that your users are able to remediate from an update check, as an example, in a good amount of time. So for an iOS update, perhaps put it to, you will be uncompliant if you haven't updated in a week. Allowing a user to that are out traveling, that are off work, to update their device without losing access to email. So there is a bunch of learnings, and uh, I would advise you to take a look at it and then go through your Intune compliance policies and uh, configure them in uh, another way a more modern way and a more user-friendly way. Sounds interesting. Yep. Quite interesting indeed. And uh, I'm also curious, uh, we had a very short discussion before we started recording, uh, team support in Windows Virtual Desktop. Why is that a thing? I I don't get it. Could you explain a bit what it's all about? Sure. And um, just to be clear, let's ask Tony first. The Windows Virtual Desktop machines you're running, are you running Teams in them today? Uh, no, it is a very, very specific uh, application on those. Yeah, okay. So Teams as such have been supported on Windows Virtual Desktop from the start. So doing using apps, chat, things like that, that have always been working. But audio and video haven't been supported. And the reason is obvious. If you have two physical devices that are connected or that have a Teams call, you will, of course, have latency between those. But it will probably be like unnoticeable because you only have that connection between themselves and you compensate for that on both sides, just like we do when we are recording now. But if you have a virtual connection, you will start the Teams call 
on your device where you have your camera and your microphone to be able to reach the other client somewhere else the camera and audio signal needs to go from your client to the virtual machine in Azure and down to another device and the latency in that case will prove very very difficult to handle uh, because you will get out of sync with voice with video it's possible that your devices won't be able to interact and especially imagine the scenario where you have two virtual desktops having a teams call and both of them needs to go up to azure before going back to each other's endpoints so it's a very very long round trip i might actually add one more thing there uh, one, one of the issues with windows as as opposed to for instance linux or unix and has always been is that windows is primarily a single user operating system you're not virtualizing uh, device drivers and that kind of stuff so is is that also part of the difficulty in running audio and video on a shared host like this? No, I wouldn't say so. I don't think that's been the real problem, to be honest. Uh, from a performance perspective, from a driver perspective, from multiple people using the their own hardware, I don't think that's really been the problem. It's It's been about having that peer-to-peer connection that we'll see soon. Uh, where the audio and video signal is sent as a peer-to-peer connection between the endpoints while the app still is running in the virtual machine. Yeah, and this is actually an age-old problem that has been existing for as long as terminal servicing has been existing pretty much. So we have seen this exact issue with remote desktop services. We have seen it with Citrix. Uh, we've seen it with the uh, Skype prior to Teams. We have seen it with the uh, OCS prior to Skype. So it's it's the it's an age 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 old uh, issue. So I, I think the new coming solution will probably be the best one to just solve it through peer to peer, because I know that prior solutions have been, for example, like GPU acceleration. Uh, like trying to optimize the protocol itself, so remote effects and stuff like that, just to try to accelerate the video and audio signals, uh, just to try to minimize the latency as much as possible. So I I do believe that the peer-to-peer solution would be way better just to cut out the middleman. And and this actually applies to both the non-ARM release of Windows Virtual Desktop, so the old one, as well as the spring update that was released a month ago or so. So it, it's a real game changer and it will, this has been a blocker for so many organizations. And um, I think definitely in these times, it, it's a vital addition to it. Yeah, and it's kind of funny to actually see uh, the, let's say the, the pace that Teams is being developed right now because of the enormous demand and the uh, rise in uh, user uh, cases. So, I mean, they, they are probably getting like 10 times the feedback that they got before uh, last year uh, compared to now. So now that they have like, what was it, quadruple their user base? So, of course, they will be getting more feedback on feature requests and things like that. So it should be an interesting time in the, what is it called, the, the feedback hub? Yeah, absolutely. And that's not the only Windows Virtual Desktop news we have received. Uh, and this is really a Windows 2004 
thing. But MSIX app attach is now available in the operating system as such. So we're able to stream your apps similar to AppV or the intention of AppV to your Windows devices. But the good thing is that it's much more um, compatible. It's much more containerized and it's way faster than AppV. So MSI AppAttach will also be a, a huge game changer uh, because it will really impact how how we build and manage our virtual machines inside of Windows Virtual Desktop and, of course, other virtualization solutions. Uh, one quick question now that you actually mentioned AppV. I haven't actually heard of AppV in years, pretty much. Are there, are they still developing that? Is it still supported? Yeah, yeah. It, they they are not developing it, but it's still definitely supported and, and still run in the same extent as always on virtualized environments. I would say we are getting less and less usage of it on physical devices. Even though I, it's it's included in Windows. It's it's it has all the benefits that it always have had. Uh, it's I think that it's just about changing the way people are working and what they are managing. Really, really interesting. Things things are happening in in the areas that I I don't have any real clue on, and stuff and and I mean that that's 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 very interesting because when when you work with Azure, when people go well you work with Azure like you work with computers, but I don't know anything about printers. I don't know anything about Windows Virtual Desktop, so it's it's hard. But what is not hard, especially if you're into uh, Power BI is that there is a new update for Power BI data flows. And we've talked about Power BI data flows as that is the way to, to package and reuse a, a data wrangling query, if you will. What we have not had up until now is direct query support. And direct query, depending on who you're asking, it's either evil or it is a game changer. And it, it's like anything is. It's a tool. And this tool needs to be used very, very carefully. But because in, instead of caching the result set inside of Power BI, the service, you are um, keeping a direct query down to whatever data source you have. And this can be a good thing, but it can also be an extremely bad thing from a performance perspective. And Guy in a Cube did an amazing uh, video with Bob Ward from Microsoft where they were looking at direct query and for one report, they did 68, I think, um, queries down to the database where you probably should have done only uh, one or two. So um, that, that's an interesting new thing. It's, it's something we didn't have and it's a good addition. And it kind of brings me slightly to a segue because this, as pretty much everything that comes out, is a premium-only feature. And we know that Power BI Premium is expensive. It's roughly $4,000 a month or $5,000 a month. And that can be prohibitively expensive. But yesterday, I ran the Swedish Power BI user group um, May Meetup. And we had a new speaker, or I wouldn't call him a new speaker. We had a speaker in the shape of Mark Lelleveld from... Um, from the Netherlands. And I know Mark since a few years. He's uh, the youngest data platform MVP, I think, in the, the history of the program. 
infuriatingly young and very, very good at what he does, he showed us how to use a lot of the premium features without actually paying for a premium. Now you're paying, of course, because you're going to run up what's known as an A SKU or a per hour counted uh, kind of Power BI, but it's not premium per se. It's it's another way of running it. So it's an interesting way, both from a, a proof of concept perspective, but also from um, if you don't need your always available premium environment, but can, can access, accept that it's uh, being spun up and, and shut down, that might be an, an interesting uh, solution to your your um, your premium requirement needs. And another interesting thing, I did the AZ-104 training last week, and I'm going to... Was that the first time? That was the first time we did that uh, internally here at uh, Atea, that's true. Uh, that was that was really interesting. It's the first time I run that one because it is a completely new course. Well, it's not new per se. It's it's the updated version of 103. Uh, 104 is still in beta, but I, I hope that it's going to get out of beta uh, soonish. But we were talking about Docker, Azure container instances, and Kubernetes. And that's, uh, for those who are not um, familiar with that, is containers. And containers means pretty much that we are virtualizing the uh, operating system. So we, we don't need to virtualize a whole machine. We are virtualizing the operating system. And suddenly we can very, very quickly run an application. Well, it, it depends on how you view things. You're virtualizing the application, but you're also virtualizing bits and pieces of the, the operating system. So, for instance, you can run SQL Server, you can start it up in, in two seconds and be off running. So it's another way of doing things. The thing is, the main, um, what to use, the main product in this space is Docker. And Docker has been a long, around for a long time. And most of this stuff on Azure is actually running Docker as the container of choice. And Kubernetes is a, an orchestrator for, among other things, Docker. But Microsoft and Docker announced a new, a deepened uh, relationship yesterday where they will integrate uh, logging to Azure from the Docker um, CLI, for instance, and a lot of small changes and bits and pieces and enhancements that's um, going to make it more streamlined to work with Azure and, and Docker. So that's going to be an exciting approach uh, going forward. I, I th This is really not my area, but I, I like the uh, Docker whale. I think it's cute. Uh, there are other containerization technologies out there, right? Yes. And if I've understood the, the people who knows this correctly, Docker is seen as the the commercialized way of running containers, it it because it's not open source, right? Uh, it's it's both. It's both. Yeah. And and what I would like to really end up in is, what does it say about Docker as a player in the container space that they are deepening the relationship with Microsoft? Does it mean that Microsoft? like you said, will prefer and support only that, which from a business point of view may be a good
good thing rather than supporting a, a, a open source version? I would say that you can run any container on on Azure as long as you run it on your own virtual machine. Yeah. But Azure Container Instances and, and AKS, the the Azure Kubernetes service, is going to be working with with Docker. Yeah. But are there any downsides of that? As long as you're running Docker, no. Nope. I think on that fairly calm bombshell <laughs> thingy. We haven't been arguing as no, much today. I know. We will sort that as soon as we hang up. Yeah. And uh, it's actually time to end the show. Thank you for listening to Knee Deep in Tech. If you have any feedback, questions, or would like to be part of an episode, please reach out to us on social media or via email at podcast at kneedeepintech.com. I have it on good authority that will actually be working as soon as Simon gets it working. We will be back next week and meanwhile, take care. Bye. Bye. Bye now.